Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. It's our privilege to have us with us this evening as our speaker, the Reverend Daniel Henderson. We're glad uh, he and his wife could be with us, and I hear that their children, their four children, are in our kids' clubs or in the nursery as well, and so we're glad that they're here tonight. Uh, He's the pastor of Manor Presbyterian Church, a sister church of ours in southern Lancaster, County, and if you don't know about that church, it's one of the most historic Presbyterian churches in the area, or you might even say on the East Coast, and it predates the PCA by probably, you know, 250 years. So it's been around for a while. In fact, during the Great Great Awakening, George Whitfield preached in the churchyard there to a throng of thousands when the gospel was spreading like wildfire in those days. And uh, they're a rare church that has um, the horse stables in case you want to park your horse in the churchyard as well. That shows you some of the historic nature of that building. Daniel is going to preach to us on Psalm 32. Welcome. Good evening. It's a joy to be with you tonight to worship the Lord. Tonight we are indeed in Psalm 32 where we will look together at how a deeper and fuller understanding of our sin leads to a deeper and fuller understanding of God's grace. Psalm 32, let's look at this together. This is God's holy word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, how good You are and how grateful we are for Your life-giving Word. 
We ask this night that you would give us the help of your spirit that we might hide your word in our hearts and that you would help us to see ourselves rightly and know your grace more fully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 32 begins on a very jubilant note. It begins with a beatitude. Verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. What a simple, heartfelt expression of praise to God for the truth that He has forgiven sin. What glorious news, true blessedness, happiness, gladness is promised to the one who knows that their sin is forgiven. And this happiness, this blessing that the psalmist speaks of here, of course, this can be quite elusive, can it? Perhaps in the dead of winter, you can't wait for summer. And in the dog days of summer, you cannot wait for cooler temperatures. When my wife Sarah and I go out on a date, we often talk about our next vacation. But it's sometimes on vacation where we often speak about home. Happiness can be very elusive. And if we as Christians don't heed God's wisdom, we will fall under the same spell as the world and endlessly chase after happiness in all the wrong places. In this psalm, we see that happiness comes from somewhere that the world would never look to. Here we find a very necessary ingredient for happiness. I think we can summarize it with this word, honesty. Look at verse 2, the second part. Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. Without God's Word, without God's Spirit, we will be deceived. We will not, we cannot see God rightly, see our world rightly, nor see ourselves rightly. But it's the one who sees himself rightly, accurately, honestly, that is promised a blessing in this psalm. Could it be that our failure to be honest with ourselves is one of the greatest roadblocks to happiness? Some of the most miserable people I've ever known have simply come, not been able to come clean about their sin. On the other hand, some of the happiest people I've known are the humblest. And the reason that they are humble is because they've learned to see themselves honestly in light of God's Word. God does not wink at sin. Never in God's Word do we see this sentiment that's so common in our world today. God loves me anyway. It doesn't really matter what I do or don't do. God loves me anyway. Never can we coexist with sin. Never can we excuse it away or distract ourselves to the point of being numb to our sin. The reason God the Father sent His Son into the world 
was to deal with our sin. To die for our sin. This psalm is a clear call to confess our sin, to come clean with the Lord. To stop hiding as Adam did in the garden. And as we grieve, mourn, and simply confess our sin to God, this opens the doorway for much more grace to be applied to our hearts and lives. The, the wonder of His love will be opened up to us even more. This psalm teaches us that only the forgiven are truly happy. But it also teaches us that if we resist the Spirit, if we resist to the point of unrepentance, we will only know misery. To highlight the joy of forgiveness, I want us to first see that the psalmist gives us three words for sin and three corresponding words for how God deals with our sin. First, let's look at the three words for sin. First word in verse 1, transgression. A transgression is a, uh, is a purposeful stepping over a known boundary. Another word for transgress is trespass. Think of a no trespassing sign. God's law gives us many no trespassing signs. And so a transgression is simply seeing that sign and climbing over that fence anyway. Transgression. The heart of that is rebellion. Second word for sin is exactly that. It's sin. It's also found in verse 1. To sin is literally to fall short or to miss the mark. There are uh, these are the different ways we fall short of obeying God's law. So, if a, tra- if a transgression is doing something that we shouldn't do, sin is failing to do something we know we should do. All of us miss the target when we fail to love God, when we fail to love our neighbor, when we fail to be a witness for Christ, when we fail to worship together as the people of God, when we fail to put sin to death, we sin. We miss the mark. Transgression. Sin. Third word is found in verse 2. Iniquity. So if a transgression is an intentional crossing of a known boundary, if sin is falling short of God's standard, then iniquity refers to why we transgress and why we sin. Iniquity refers to our internal corruption, the impurity of our thoughts, motives, and desires. And so an iniquity goes much deeper than what we do and what we don't do and deals with who we are. Deals with our inward bent, our natural proclivity for wickedness. And so together, these three words, transgression, sin, iniquity, gives us a a good description of the nature of, of sin. Well, now let's look at the three corresponding words to show how God deals with our sin. First of these words, again in verse 1, is forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. This word means simply to to bear something, to, to carry something. Isaiah 53 speaks of the one who has borne our grief and carries our sorrows. Perhaps you remember in Pilgrim's Progress of the great burden that Christian carried 
And it wasn't until he confessed his sin at the cross where the Lord took off that burden from his shoulders and he was free. In the same way on the cross, Jesus bore our sin. That's forgiveness. The second word that describes how God has dealt with our sin is also found in verse 1. It's cover. Blessed is he whose sin is, is covered. This literally means to conceal or hide or bury. This word is used of, uh, at the Red Sea, where the Red Sea covered Pharaoh's army. It's also used of the glory cloud covering Mount Sinai or covering the tabernacle. But most importantly, it's used on the Day of Atonement where the high priest takes the blood of sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles the mercy seat, the covering of the ark. So that's the word cover. Third word that describes how God deals with our sin is the word count in verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. This can also be translated impute. It's an accounting term. It's the word used by Paul in Romans 4 where, where Paul quotes these exact verses to explain the doctrine of justification. So three words for sin. Transgression, sin, iniquity. Three corresponding ways that God has dealt with our sin on the cross. Jesus carried our transgressions. He covered our sin. And He counts iniquity, our iniquity, to Christ. And Christ's righteousness, He counts to us. At every turn, every facet of our fallenness, there is corresponding and even abounding grace. Even our internal corruption, even the desires of our, our, our hearts are, are no match for the grace of God. Do you know, even now, the joy of being forgiven? Are you truly happy because of what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross? David says that only the forgiven can be truly, truly happy. This leads to the second point. The second and third points will be more brief. The second point is simply this, that unconfessed sin brings misery. Misery. Let's look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. These verses describe any Christian believer who is ignoring their sin. This person is described by David as one who is in agony. He was miserable. There's a sense that the heavy hand of the Lord is upon him. And here we even see that the, the eventual physical toll that can be taken on someone who is unrepentant. Perhaps you've been there. There's not only a loss of spiritual vitality, but there can be physical effects as well. David says, my strength, it's as if it was all dried up when I didn't confess my sin. So in verse 8, we are to learn from David who is our instructor. He says this in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And so as wisdom literature, the Psalms lay before us two paths. A path of life and a path of misery. And he continues 
on with a clear warning, and that's found in verse 9. He says, Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will stay near you. David says, Don't be like that stubborn horse that's bracing itself against the bit and won't respond to the Spirit. Don't harden your heart. Don't be deceived. You can't fool God. David is pleading as an instructor. He's saying, learn from me. Learn from my mistakes. And of course, God does not demand perfection, but what He does demand is a, a tender and contrite heart. And He promises to never turn away those who come to Him. If we are God's children and we continue to brace against the bit, God's heavy hand will be upon us. And perhaps King David is describing his own experience between David's sin with Bathsheba and when the prophet Nathan confronted him. An entire year had, had gone by. And so maybe he's recalling his own spiritual turmoil and, and physical effects of his sin as well. God is a good Father. He disciplines us, doesn't He? He disciplines us that we might share in His holiness. And He does this for our own good. And so if you feel the conviction, the, the burden, the, the heaviness of, of sin, that's a good thing. That's God's grace at work in your life. That in and of itself is a blessing from God. And it's meant to drive us back to Christ. Unconfessed sin brings misery. Well, for this final point, I want us to see three great assurances that we can have as the people of God. These are three great blessings or benefits that can be ours if we confess our sin regularly, daily. First blessing, God's protection. Second half of verse 6, Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Well, maybe this past year you've experienced the rush of great waters in, in some way. And God has been your faithful refuge. Praise God if, if that's been the case. He is our faithful shepherd who will carry His own forever. But I think the refuge that the psalmist is speaking of here is a refuge or a, a deliverance from the eternal judgment of God. Just as Noah and his family found refuge from the raging waters in the ark, so if we are in Christ, we are preserved forever from the judgment and wrath of God. Whatever happens on this earth, whatever circumstances that you face, our eternity is secure. God is your hiding place. And that assurance of God's protection is something that is meant to give you great joy and we are to rest in. The second blessing is simply God's steadfast love. Look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What a great visual of God's love. The love of the Lord that, that, that is surrounding us even now. Psalm 145, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting 
to everlasting on those who fear Him. Jesus concludes His great high priestly prayer in John 17 that that we would know that the love the Father has for us is that exact same love that He has for His own Son. And I wonder, does the knowledge of that love astound you? There is great happiness promised to all who rest their weary souls in the love of Jesus Christ. We can rest in God's protection. We can be assured of God's love. And finally, we can be glad in the Lord. Gladness. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. What a great promise. For all who humble themselves and confess their sins, God promises joy. He promises gladness. True heart happiness. In this world of heartache and despair and disappointment, even while we continue to groan until we meet our Savior, we can know gladness. Joy. Happiness. Puritan Richard Sibbs said this, quote, There is more grace in Christ than sin in us. What balm for the soul. This was St. Augustine's favorite psalm. Psalm 32. Augustine had Psalm 32 inscribed on the wall next to, to him as he lie dying so he could meditate upon it. And so why don't we, like Augustine, meditate upon these wonderful truths? Why don't we rest our faith upon the finished work of of Jesus Christ? Why don't we relish once again in the, the joy of our salvation and the finality of the cross to pay for all of our sin? All of our sin. All of it. Our transgressions are forgiven. Our sin has been covered. And our iniquity has been counted to Christ. Blessed, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, our Father, thank You for Jesus who has tread our sins underfoot and who has cast all of our iniquity into the deepest part of the deepest ocean. Father, thank You for Your Son who died for sinners once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to You. And Father, we thank You this night for what not only what You've saved us from, Your wrath, Your judgment, eternity of separation from You. Father, we thank You for what You've saved us for. To know You now and for all eternity that we can sing with joy this night. We pray that Your Spirit would give us tender and contrite hearts. That we would be a people who walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. We pray that this Lenten season that You would ever be more training our hearts to more deeply mourn our sin, that we might better know the sweetness of Your grace. 
We pray that that You would do Your work in all of our hearts. Keep us near the cross and give us great gladness as we make this song our own. We praise You and we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen.